And uh, one of the things that happens whenever I'm with my family is we end up sitting around telling stories. That's just, I come from a, a family of storytellers. That won't come as a surprise uh, to you, I know. Um, and one of my favorite stories that, that I think illustrates uh, what I want to talk about today was the story of the, of the snowstorm of 1978 or 79. I'm not sure what it was. But that year, in Mineral County, West Virginia, we got like 35 inches of snow. It's one of those ones like we did last year, okay? Just got a pile of snow. And um, there in Mineral County, West Virginia, a little town named Kaiser. I live in the valley behind it um, when I was a child. And um, for some particular reason, we, my whole family, there were five children in my family, my, my two parents, five children, um, we uh, needed, when the snowstorm came, we went to my grandmother's house, who was two sort of houses away. And uh, we hold up there. I really don't know. I don't remember all the details. I don't know if we were there to help my grandmother. I don't know if we were there because we expected to lose power and, and maybe for some reason it was going to be better to be at home, at her home. But for some reason we were. And uh, my dad went to work, as he did every other morning. And that night, 30 inches of snow fell on the ground. And we were completely snowed in. And Daddy was at work. And I remember being like eight years old and just, this just bothered me to my core because my dad was gone. And, and what was going to happen to him, and maybe even more important than that, was what? What's going to happen to me? And I remember my mother saying to me, not to worry, your dad will come home. Your dad will come home. And I'm telling you, as a little child, I remember just being very fearful what was going to happen. And I remember he, he had to stay at work. I guess he slept there at the, at the paper plant where he worked or something. I didn't really know. But a couple days went by, and what do you know? He's coming home. And I remember it so kind of clearly as, as we're looking out my grandmother's front window, and here comes my dad, okay? And he's walking through 30 inches of snow, you know, like you do. It was a long driveway there to the house. And I remember in his hands, he had these great big, like bags, these packages. What is this? What is daddy bringing as he comes home from the snowstorm? And it was the coolest thing in the world. Maybe somebody remembers having one of these. It was these giant coloring books. Anybody ever have one of these things? I, I have a microphone in my hand. It was like this tall and like this wide. Anybody else here ever have one of those? And he brought one home to us. It was the coolest thing in all the world. Seeing my dad come home bringing gifts. There's something significant about a return. There's something significant about a return. About a dad or a mom returning. About a child returning. My son is in Afghanistan right now serving the United States Army. And we are counting down the days. We're hoping around his birthday he'll come home. And we can't wait. He'll arrive in Texas. He's there at Fort Hood. That's where he's stationed. And Nancy and I are trying to figure out how can we be there? How can we be there to see him come home? There's something significant about a homecoming. Today I want to talk about Jesus returning. As we, as we come into Christmas now, we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about his first coming. But i got news for us, folks. He's coming again. He's coming again. Now, if you don't have a Bible, Mark is coming down the aisle right now, and he can get you one. Um, a Bible will be helpful to you today. Open up your Bible with me, would you? We're going to go today quickly to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. And I, I want to take a look here at, at God's Word. Excuse me. At God's Word and see what Jesus had to say about His return. Because Jesus made a lot of promises to us about Him coming back 
And I hope that we can, we can understand what Jesus was telling us. In Matthew chapter 24, we're, we're near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He is coming close to the time when he goes to the cross to die for sins. Jesus didn't go to the cross to, to give us a model. He didn't go to the cross to, to just show us what it means to serve. That's not why Jesus went to the cross to die. He didn't show us, he wasn't doing this to demonstrate to us that, that we should be willing to, to lay down our life. That, that isn't the reason why Jesus went to the cross. Now all those things may be true, but the reason that Jesus Christ went to the cross was to bear our sins. That's why he's there. That's why Jesus died on that cross. For years, I was involved in Christianity. I was around Christian churches, and I didn't understand it. To me, it just seemed like Jesus was going to the cross, you know, just like the, I don't know, what, what happened? Did bad things do bad things to him? Did bad people do bad things? Is that what this is about? No. It is the Lord Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins. But before he went there, he made a lot of statements. In Matthew chapter 24, you're there now? In verse number 3, let's jump in here and see what Jesus has to say. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus has been telling them, I'm going to come again. I'm going to leave. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed by the Gentiles. They're going to, they're going to kill me. A wicked death. And then I'm going to rise from the dead and I'm going to come again. And as you might imagine, this, this brought up all kinds of questions in the disciples' minds. For instance, here, how will we know it's coming? What will be the sign? And Jesus described this a great deal. A great deal. And he said near the end here, so when you see the abomination of desolation, oh my goodness, what is that? Spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judea, Judea flee to the mountains. What is he saying here? Jesus is saying, yes, I'm coming again. And I told you about it in the book of Daniel. A couple things here I want you to notice. Jesus Christ, in the flesh, understood that Daniel was the author of the book of Daniel. Daniel is the one who said this. And Daniel was going to tell us things about Jesus coming that blows our minds. He told us exactly when Jesus was going to come. To the day, Daniel explained when Jesus would enter in Jeru into Jerusalem to give his life for the sins of the world. That's not all that Jesus said about his coming. He said a great deal more. And I'll just throw some of these things up on the screen, okay? Just a couple of things here to understand about what he's going to do. He says, watch yourselves. Be careful, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, that that day may come upon you like a thief. In other words, what Jesus is explaining to us is this. We need to know that he's coming again. You and I need to remember that Jesus is coming again. Yes, the physical Jesus, the man, the Lord man Jesus, God in the flesh, is going to return, is what the Bible tells us. And what Luke here is warning us of, is we can get so wrapped up into things of this earth, the things that are good and the things that are bad, the things that are sinful and the things that are just everyday life, we can get so wrapped up in the things of this world, the cares of this world, that we forget 
that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, it's like a thief who breaks into your house and you're surprised by him coming. Lastly, just for, for right now, and it's, it's all through our Bible. Lastly, uh, we can see here, is that up on the screen yet? No. Randy, I'm not as good at this as you. Jesus says, I am coming soon in Revelation chapter 3. So hold fast what you have so no one may, may seize or take the crown that God has for us. We're going to talk today about Jesus' second coming. And we're going to go to Daniel. If you have your Bible, you should turn there. Go to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to, we're going to read about it in the book of Daniel. And I want to warn you right now, okay? If, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know we spent a lot of time in Daniel chapter 9. Today is going to be thick at times. I'm a little bit nervous about today, okay? I'm a little bit nervous because we're going to cover a lot of content today, and I need you to listen fast, all right? And understand that today is going to get a little bit thick, but I think you, if you hold on, if you hold on, God can use this in your heart. Go to the book of Daniel, okay? Daniel's where I want you to be. Chapter 9 is where we've been for the last month. Good news is, this is the last, well, maybe good news, I'm kind of disappointed. This will be our last sermon from the book of Daniel. We're going to move on now, but in Daniel chapter 9, I want us to jump in here again. I'll read it to you, and then I'll try to explain it to us today so we can be taught by the Word of God. Verse number 25 is where I want to start today. Daniel writes, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the Word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah is what that word is. ESV says anointed one, but in reality, it is the word Messiah. So we have the Messiah here. Until the coming of the Messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then 62 weeks. It shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And now there's a very sad section of Scripture here. Listen to it. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to a sacrifice and the offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. That's a very, you, you may not realize it. But that's a, a series of very bad, sad things. But then it ends on a positive note. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now we want to try to understand what this is saying. And in order to do that, I've, I've searched hard for a very technical drawing that I think will an image that might help us understand it, okay? Now... This is, this is very technical. Okay, somebody joked and said that we make this in the children's department last week. Um, you'll, you'll understand maybe how Scripture works if you can understand this diagram that, that some professional artist, because I was kind of on the clock when I drew it, okay? So we can understand what's happening here, all right? Now, Daniel is an Old Testament prophet. Prophet. What that means is he does two primary things. He, he foretells God's word. That means he speaks God's word. He just shouts it forth. Listen to God. And he also foretells. He talks about things that are coming in the future. And there are many prophets in your Old Testament. Okay? You've got Jeremiah, Isaiah, Michael, Daniel, and many, many others. But here's the reality. 
when these prophets would, when God would allow them to see into the future, the primary thing that they would see, the most important thing and the most common thing that they would see in the future, all centered around Jesus Christ. You see, you and I are meant to center around Jesus. The whole world centers around him. He holds it all together. And so when the prophets would speak, as God would enable them, they spoke about Jesus. Over and over and over and over, they talked about Jesus. Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come. But what happened to the prophets was this. God was revealing to them something that they didn't understand. God was revealing to them that really two kind of climactic moments in the eternal life of Jesus. And those were really what we call his two advents. Sometimes they would be speaking of the first time that Jesus would come. And sometimes they'd be speaking of the second time that Jesus would come. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus, as he comes as the Messiah, is called the Lamb. How do you picture a lamb? Bah, right? I mean, this little, like, weak creature that, you know, it, honestly, if you leave a lamb alone, it dies. You let a lamb go out in the woods or whatever, although it's hard to catch, he will die, okay? That lamb will die. He cannot live on his own. Now, sometimes, the Bible would speak about the Messiah and call him a lamb. But other times, the Bible would speak of the Messiah and call him what? The lion. And this confuse the prophets as you understand that it might. See, what they didn't understand, because God didn't tell them this. God didn't reveal this in his word. What they didn't understand is that God was speaking of two times that Jesus would come. The first time he'd come as a lamb. The second time he'd come as the lion. You're in Daniel. Go over to Isaiah chapter 9. Let me show you this in scripture. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. This is a great Christmas passage. Isaiah chapter 9. We'll talk about this in the next coming weeks as we, as we celebrate the advent, the first advent of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9. Notice what happens here, and I'll read it. If you don't have your Bible, it may be somewhat familiar to you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Listen to what it says. Isaiah 9, verse number 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you see the gap? That's my question for you. I'm going to say that a lot today. Do you see the gap? Notice it says, For unto us, or to us, a child is born. First advent. A child is born. A son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Let me ask you this. When Jesus was on the earth as a child, was the government of the earth on his shoulder? Was he ruling over the planet at that time? Absolutely not. The ruling authorities rejected him and crucified him. So what's going on here? What's going on is Isaiah is seeing the first and the second advent of Jesus. Advent means his coming. Isaiah didn't see the gap. He didn't understand the gap. But you and I can now. Look at this passage. Here's an interesting one. Okay? Go to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9. Listen to what it says. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt. The foal of a donkey. Now you may remember, this is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He told his disciples to go and get the foal of a donkey. And he rode it into Jerusalem. This is his first advent. But if you read the next verse, look what it says. The very next verse, Zechariah 9.10 says this. I will cut, this is the very next verse, speaking of the same Messiah. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. Do you see the gap? He comes riding on a donkey and then, Zechariah says, ruling from sea to sea. This happens many times in the Word of God. There's a gap in our Old Testament prophecy. And if we miss it, if we miss it, we miss it. Because you and I live in that gap. And I want to see that today. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to talk today about prophecy. And I want to say a couple words about prophecy because you know that, that a lot of people get all charged up about prophecy. You know, you got all this talk about, you know, the, the blood moons and, you know, all these, these just honestly at times whacked out things that people say and ask. I have people come up and ask me, Pastor Lowell, you've been uh, studying the Bible for a long time, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's, when somebody asks me that, I get a little nervous, okay? You, you know the Bible, right? Yeah. Why? I kind of wince, you know, like, what are they going to ask me? Where in Scripture does it say that a president of the United States shall be a female with blonde hair and she will not quite win the election but will be given it at the last hour? And I'm like, what are you talking about? That is not in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible. But people have all these weird ideas. They get all these concepts and they're, they're look for these little signs like, oh, we're looking for the blood moon. We're looking for this. We're looking for that. Because then we have the secret. Listen, here's the secret. God's word is about his son, Jesus Christ. He came to the earth and died for sins. He's willing to live inside of you and run your life and be your Lord And one day he will come and bring you victory complete over sin. That's the secret. That's the inside story, folks. That's it. Say, well, can I have a little more than that? Can I have some intrigue? Can I have a secret message? Can I have Morris code? Beep, 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 beep. I have the inside. No, it's it's not there, folks. I mean, imagine this. And this is something I understand about prophecy. Prophecy is is not about predicting. It's not about you predicting what God is going to do. It's about confirming what God has done. It's about us understanding what God has done. For instance, Zechariah said that when the Messiah comes, he'll ride into town on what? Class? A donkey. Yeah, right, right. The foal of a donkey. Now tell me. Did Matthew and John and James and all the followers of Jesus, 
were they running around like, where's the donkey? Where's the donkey? Huh? Look, he's riding on a donkey. That must be the Messiah, don't you think? Look, he's got long brown hair. It must be the Messiah. And he's riding on a donkey. That's how we act with, with prophecy. No. It's confirming what we see happening. Matthew, over 15 times as Matthew is recording what Jesus did, he says, as the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus did this. To fulfill Scripture, Jesus did this. Prophecy is about confirming what Jesus has done. Be, honestly, be wary of those who come and tell you what they think is going to happen. Jesus gave that warning. Watch out for the ones that says, Jesus is behind, the Christ is behind this curtain. Be careful. Be careful. Prophecy is about confirming. Let me show you that in Daniel. Go back to Daniel chapter 9 now. I told you you need your Bible this morning. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Now, let's re- let me remind you of another. This drawing is, is a little bit better than the last one. Let's remember what we saw last week, okay, as we looked at Daniel. All right, this is a little bit odd, I know. Just bear with me, okay? But Daniel expl- God explained to Daniel that he was going to work with Israel for 490 weeks. 490 years, I mean to say. 490 years. And he explains what's going to happen for the first 69 seven, groups of seven of those years, 483 years. So God explained for 483 years, this is what I'm going to do. And then I've got one more set of seven. And in reality, here's where we're at. Here's what we got. What we have here is Daniel has seen that same wonderful diagram. Daniel has seen. God has allowed him to see the first advent and the second. Our thought today is going to the gap. I want us to see the gap today. Let me show it to you, all right? We're in Daniel chapter 9. Are you there? Follow along with me. Verse number 26 is what I'm after, okay? But we'll grab 25 as well. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem and to come to the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 more. So in other words, 69 weeks, and we talked about last week, this is a group of seven years. So 69 times 7 is 483. So 483 years before the Messiah comes. And the amazing truth of Scripture is this. If you start a clock at Nehemiah chapter 2, where permission is given for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem, 483 years tick by till Jesus walks into Jerusalem. It's an amazing truth of Daniel. I don't have time to to talk about it. You have to listen to last week to pull that off. But let's keep going. Notice what it says. And after the 62 weeks... An anointed one, and literally this is the Messiah, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. What this is, is God is allowing Daniel to see a truth that we can understand. This is confirming what Jesus has done. This is confirming that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would die. The Messiah would come and the Messiah would die. It's a, it's a confirmation of that truth. Let me explain it to you. Notice what it says here. The anointed one, that is the Messiah, shall be cut off. Now this word cut off literally means to kill. To kill. You can see it in the, in the book of Genesis. 
chapter 9, that is referring to death. That the Messiah shall die. So understand that all of Israel is waiting for this Messiah. There's all kinds of prophetic word about the Messiah who would come. And in this passage, in Daniel chapter 9, what we see about the Messiah is he's going to come and he's going to die. He's going to be cut off. And not just death, okay, but Leviticus chapter 7 verse number 20 and many other passages in the book of Leviticus use this same word cut off for not just dying, but to die and being punished for sin. Over and over and over, the same word is used for a person who commits a sin and that they are cut off from the living. So in Daniel chapter 9, what we're learning about the Messiah, this anointed one that would come, is he would come and he would die the death of a criminal, is what this means. The Jews were looking for a Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah, but they wanted a Messiah who would come and rule as king. They wanted the lion. But what Daniel's explaining is, no. First he comes as a lamb, and he dies the death of a criminal. And that's not all. Notice what else it says. He shall be cut off and shall have nothing. ESV says have nothing. NIV says have nothing. New King, New King James says not for himself. New Living Translation says appearing to have accomplished, to have accomplished nothing. Here's what it means. This Messiah would come. He would die. He would die the death of a criminal. And he would be rejected by all. It would appear that his death meant nothing. Is what Daniel was explaining. That when the Messiah, when the anointed one comes, he will come into the earth. We already know when he's going to come. Zechariah said that he'll enter in Jerusalem riding on a donkey, okay? He'll come into town, he'll be rejected by many, and then he will die. He will die a criminal's death, and he'll be rejected as accomplishing nothing. You see what we have here? We have a man, the Lord Jesus, who has now given up his life, much worse than that has died the death of a criminal, a near-naked man hanging on a cross until he dies, stripped off the cross, and if not for the quick action of some of his followers, thrown into a garbage heap is what would have happened to the Messiah. Would have nothing. Cut off. Cut off from the living. Cut off as a criminal. This is the great Messiah that Daniel is speaking of. Now you can understand why the, why the Jewish people today, they, they, couldn't under, they, couldn't, they couldn't accept this. They rejected this. This is why in John chapter 1 it says that he came to his own. And his own what? Received him? Uh-uh. Received him not. He came to his own and his own received him not. Not. See, the Jews of that day had this exact same problem as every single one of us. We have this idea that my problem that I have is either somebody else 
or my circumstances or what has been done to me. And folks, that's not the reality. Our problem is us. It's me. I've searched and searched and searched, and I know the source of all of my problems. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord. Right? It's me. Just like the Americans of today, the Jewish people of Jesus' day refused to accept that. They didn't want a lamb to deal with their sin. They didn't want a Messiah who would die. They didn't want a Messiah who would die a criminal death. They didn't want a Messiah who would die what seemed to be a pointless death. They wanted a leader. They wanted a king. They didn't want Jesus riding around on a donkey. They wanted him him riding into town on a white horse is what they wanted. We have a sin problem. And God first had to deal with the sin problem. That's what the first mountain is about. It's the mountain in your life. Scripture is confirming this truth that we needed help. We needed fixed. We needed our sin dealt with. Let's keep going. Go back to Daniel chapter 9 if you, if you drifted away. Notice what else it says. Now let's, let's talk briefly about what's going to happen after this Messiah dies. After 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And I want you to see what is going to happen. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and its sanctuary. And it shall, its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. You remember that gap we had between the mountains? What we're seeing is this, this time in the gap that we're in right now, this time between the mountains is going to be characterized by these very things. Death, destruction, war, famine, natural disorders. This is going to happen. Disasters are going to happen. It's this, this whole valley time between the mountains is going to be characterized by those kinds of things. We're not going to improve things to have utopia here on this earth. You're not going to improve the gap to where we don't need Jesus. The gap is going to be characterized by destruction. And in reality, what Daniel is speaking of is most specifically the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. If you're interested, I would say that most definitely, verse number 26, for those that find this stuff interesting, verse 26 is definitely talking about the Romans coming into Jerusalem in the year 70 and wiping out the temple that Jesus worshipped in. In in the year 70, the Romans marched into Jerusalem and so destroyed the Jews and and all of their sort of the, the semblance of religion that they had there at such a level that historians tell us That for miles around Jerusalem, there was not one tree left. You know why? Because the Romans crucified so many people that there were no, that the land was barren of trees. They cut down all the trees to, to crucify the Jews. You see, this is just something that, that they lived in in that day. Josephus speaks of, 10,000 people from Damascus who had their throats cut when the Romans came into town. 
Daniel's seeing this now. 483 plus 70, whatever that is, years before. But it isn't going to end there. Notice what it says. These desolations are decreed at the verse number 26. And it says that at the end there shall be war. It's just going to happen. Until verse number 27. Now let me just say, let me just speak briefly about verse number 27. It says here, and he... Now, who is the antecedent here to he? Now, what does the word antecedent mean? Who is he in this passage? Okay, that's what we need to ask, first of all. If you go back up into verse number 26, we're looking at this prince. This prince, this one who is to come. There is a leader. This is not the Messiah, but this is a prince here on earth. And he is to come, Daniel says. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Now, you should be thinking, week? Wait a minute. I heard week earlier. Yeah, you did. You did. Daniel said there were 70 weeks, and remember we talked about that. That means 70 sets of seven years, 490 years. 69 of them have gone by. What's 69 times 7? 483. Very good. Okay. 483. 483 years have gone by, and now we're in this gap. We're in this gap. And now Daniel says, and there's one more seven coming. Have you ever wondered why we say there's a seven-year tribulation for those that have studied eschatology? You ever wonder where that came from? Here. Here. By the way, commercial break. If you like eschatology, because I, I find it interesting, all right? But I don't have time to deal with it all here. I don't have time to deal with it here. But in January, on Wednesday night... We're doing, we do a systematic theology class on Wednesday nights, okay? Right now we're studying Christology and Ecclesiology. We start back this Wednesday class, okay? We're meeting this Wednesday night. About 15 people come out. We'd love to have you there. In January, we're going to start into our last section, and it's going to be eschatology. We're going to talk about eschatology and pneumatology. That is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the tribulation and the rapture and all that kind of stuff Wednesday nights in the new year at the ministry center. Not on Sunday mornings. I just don't have enough energy or time to do that in 40... Well, you don't have enough energy and time to do that for 45 minutes on Sunday morning. So we'll do that on Wednesday nights. If you're interested, join us. You'll you'll appreciate it. But back to this one. So here's where that seven years comes from. This is where that comes from. He shall make a strong covenant for many, with the many that is, for one week. And for half of the week, how long would half of a week be? If a week is seven years, how long would half of a week be? See, I don't like math. Seven divided by two, three and a half. Okay, that's where this three and a half number comes from, right here. For half of a week... He shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes it desolate. Here's what I believe Daniel is telling us. And not only here, you'll find this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and all through the book of Revelation. There is one coming. Remember I told you this this gap is characterized by, by war and desolation and disaster and sickness It's also characterized by anti-God activity. This gap is is characterized by people who oppose God and oppose His Son, Jesus Christ. We see it all over the place. If you want to test my theory, go into your workplace tomorrow and and somebody says, what would you do this weekend? Say, I spent all Sunday morning worshiping Jesus. And look around and watch what all your friends do. They scurry away like, like roaches, right? 
This guy's a fanatic. He's a weirdo. That's the gap. That's the gap, folks. That's the gap. Jesus said, don't be surprised that you experience tribulation on this earth. That's what you're going to have. Don't be surprised when things don't go your way. Don't be surprised when you fight with your kids. Don't be surprised when you argue with your wife. That's the gap, folks. But the gap here is wrapping up. And really what's happening is now we're being prepared for the reality of life in this gap. Opposition. But what happened here in the 70th week is there will be one who will rise up. He's called the prince here. He will rise up. Many things have happened here. If you notice, look what's happened. There's now worship in the temple in Jerusalem. That means a temple has to be built. Right? There's sacrifice in Jerusalem. That means there's got to be a temple. So there's going to be a temple there in Jerusalem. Now don't say that in Jerusalem now. You'll get killed, literally. But there's going to be. There's going to be a temple. And there in that temple, this prince that's going to come is going to say, yes, you may worship here. And there will be worship in that temple for three and a half years. And at three and a half years into that, this prince that is going to come is going to say, no more. You cannot worship in this temple anymore unless you worship me. And this is the abomination that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 24. Listen, let me tell you how the gap ends. At the end of this gap, there is one being, one person in Jerusalem demanding that all the world worship him or die. This is what Daniel's telling us. That's what Daniel's telling us. Now, let me ask you this. Go back to verse number 24. Verse number 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 24. Notice what it says. Seventy weeks, or as the New Living Translation says it, 70 sets of seven are decreed about your people and your holy city. Who is Daniel's people? Good, right, the Jews. Seventy weeks are decreed for Daniel's people. Daniel's people are the Jewish people. What this tells us is that last week, that that gap week that, that we were looking at, that gap week, it's not about you and me. Hold on. Yeah. It's not about you and me. You see, there were 69 weeks that God dealt with the Jews. And he says, I got one more week that I'm going to work with the Jews that I'm going to work with the Jewish, the Israel nation. So that begs a question that you maybe didn't think to ask, but I'll plant it in your head right now. And the question is a question we're all really good at asking. (laughs) We're all really good at asking this question. But maybe to think about asking it for this. And the question is, what about me? I'm not not a Jewish man. I'm not in the nation of Israel. What about me? Well, go in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thess chapter 4. I encourage you, bring your Bible with you. It helps a lot. 
We jump around, and, and honestly, I just trust that you're going to read some of this on your own and, and let God grow you in His Word. First Thessalonians chapter 4, jump in with me at verse number 15. See what this says. For this, a different author now, this is Paul. He's living in the gap, like you and me. He's living in the gap. And look what he says. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, you can, you can write here if you want to, the 70th week. If, if we live until the 70th week, in Daniel chapter 9, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed those who have fallen asleep. A euthanism for a, for a believer who is dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be raptured up together, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What is this saying? What is this saying? For those of us that are in the gap, for those of us that are in the gap, if you're in Christ today, I can promise you on the authority of God's Word, you will not experience the last seven. The last seven, if you're in Jesus today, has nothing to do with you. Passages like this one, like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, like Revelation chapter 3, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, over and over and over declare that the, that the bride of Christ, those who are in Jesus, he is going to rescue them from the coming wrath of that last seven. See, that is, that is God's way with his bride. Now listen to this. If you're in Jesus today, if you know Christ as your Savior then the Bible calls you the bride of Christ. Now, for the men in the room, that feels a little weird, okay? That doesn't mean you're going to wear a wedding gown, anything weird like that, I know, okay? But just, just allow the illustration, okay, to flow a little bit. And just let your masculinity go for just a minute and just think about this, okay? We are the bride of Christ. Why is that? Well, because Jesus has, has redeemed us. He has purchased us with his blood. He has given us life. He's laid down his life so that we don't have to experience the wrath of God. Here's what we're learning about what God is going to do. You see, there's coming a time where God is going to, one last time, try to bring the nation of Israel to himself. God made many promises to Israel, not to you and me, but to Israel. He made many promises. And God is going to one more time bring great suffering into their life that they might turn to Him. And Romans says that when He returns, all who are alive will receive Him as Savior. All, all Jews who are, all Jews are here, who are on the earth, when He returns, will understand that He's the Messiah. But that's not you and me. We are the bride of Christ. 
And so Jesus says, I will rescue you from the coming wrath. This is Jesus' way with his bride. He allows suffering to come in our lives. Granted, I understand that. But when we speak of the expectation of Jesus coming, when we look for him to come, When we expect, to, when we long for him to come, we need to know why he's coming. He's coming to bring us to himself. If you know Jesus today, he's in your heart, he's in your life, but you're not physically with him. You're not, you're not walking down the street and Jesus walking next to you, okay? And we, but we long for that kind of connection. Do you? Do you long to be with Christ? Jesus said this. When his disciples asked, when are you, you going to come get us? He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He says, if I go away from you, I'm preparing a place for you. And I will come and get you. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. These are the promises that Jesus gives us. Jesus really came the first time as a lamb and died for sins. He's really coming a second time as a lion to conquer sin, to end sin, to finish transgression, to atone for all iniquity. But when he comes, he will take his church with him, his bride, those that have received him and what he offers us through the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, uh, I pray that you would allow us to long for your appearing. Lord, believers here in the room understand that. Understand what it means to long for Jesus to be here and to be with him. Lord, you've told us a lot in your word. It's been confirmed. Your, your first coming was confirmed by your word over and over. And now, Lord, we've taken a glimpse at your second coming. God, I pray for one here who needs prepared for you to arrive. That it wouldn't be like the one that's surprised by a thief. But, Lord, that we'd be ready for you to return. Ready because you are a Savior. Now just listen as we pray. Just our, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. A relationship with Jesus is between you and him. I can't, I can't force it on you. But I can invite you to it. Today, if you recognize you're a sinner and you need forgiveness and that Jesus is the way, tell him that. In your heart of hearts, you tell him that you know you're a sinner. Tell him you understand that the wages of sin is death. But his gift through his cross, when he died for sins, brings us life. Now just listen. All who can hear me hear. The God of the universe sits on his throne. And the Bible says very clearly that when one sinner repents, 
there is celebration in the presence of God, at the throne room of God, when one sinner repents. May we have that kind of celebration, Lord, as we think about what you did, the great God of the universe bringing us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.